Let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to read, and then we'll pray, and we'll, we'll see what God has to say to us from his word. The scriptures say, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them let's pray father we uh, come to hear from you and we believe that when you speak in your word, that the Holy Spirit is there filling the words which you caused the original author to write. That the eternal God of the universe worked in the Apostle Paul as he wrote words that would resonate and be filled with power for his church so that we would know how it is that you call us to live, Father, that you would know how short we have fallen of your standard, that we would know the deliverance that you've accomplished for us in Jesus Christ, and that we would know how to lay hold of it by faith and to cling to it and to walk in the good of it all of our days. We thank you for leaving us with this lamp for our path. We thank you for laying out your vision and plan for the church. We have no need to invent it because it's been given to us. And so, Father, we come before you now and we ask that by your grace and for your glory that you would speak through the presentation of your word, that, that we would see your heart your passion, your plan for the church, and that we would see our lives as part of that, we would say yes to you, that you are, as we sang, perfect in all of your ways, that, that the plans that you have for us, at times though they may be scary, that they may challenge us, that they may cause us to have to speak or act outside of our comfort zone, that they're consistent with your will and that they're good and that your spirit lives within us to accomplish your plan. 
And so, Father, we come to you knowing that you're good, knowing that you're kind. And we say, have your way with us through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's take a few moments and, uh, and consider the word. Let's talk about lostness. Okay? Lostness. Uh, not a word that I know if I was typing this in my word processor, it might come up with a little bit of a, a squiggle underneath it, right? You know, uh, fix that or, or right click and tell the, uh, the spell check to ignore it. This is the condition that each and every one of us are born into. Ephesians 2.1 says this, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You know what happens? My spell check uh, always corrects Ephesians and uh, E-P-H and switches it to M-P-H, like miles per hour. I've got to figure out how to, how to defeat that on my phone uh, and on, on my, my search engine on my Macintosh. Uh, we were dead in transgressions and sins in which we once walked following the course of this world following the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What is Paul saying here about the condition of human beings? We are born into the world in a condition of deadness before God. That's what the Bible says about the condition of every single human being. So uh, this is a, a picture that I draw to represent the condition of, of humanity, right? These are, these are hands, all right? Uh, if you've not seen me do this kind of thing in Sunday school, I do this all the time with the whiteboard. I just, I had to build a, a big board. Brian built it for me uh, so that I could do this up here in front of all y'all. So uh, here's the here's a condition, or here's a here's a an unbeliever. This is a uh, a human being born in the image. The Bible says of Adam, uh, covering their eyes in shame, dead because of of the wicked works which they have done, the ways in which they've failed to conform to God's character. They're by nature, the Bible says, children of wrath, and so uh, the, the, the eventual judgment of God will come down on him, Second, sec, on them. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says that our gospel, the gospel of the church, is veiled to those who are perishing. That's also a condition of the one who is lost, perishing. 2 Corinthians Four, three. Um, sometimes we think lost, right? Not so bad. I've lost things before. I've, I've lost my phone. I've lost my keys. And eventually, if I search long enough, I find them, right? Not a problem. But, but the word lost is, is more of a, uh, can be used in more of a naval term in this sense, right? That, that when a ship is lost, it sinks, lost, perishing, blind. 
2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Ephesians 4.17 says, This I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened. Four, seventeen. Uh, the idea that the that the mind is confused and, and cannot see. It is it is blinded. They're alienated from the life of God. And so here then is God, but He is separated from them. They wander in their own way. The Bible describes them as imprisoned. I drew this little doodle yesterday, and, and, and one of my kids looked at it, and I said, do you know what that is? And he said, yeah, that's that thing that they put on your leg when you go to prison, right? They only do this in cartoons now, but they used to do it in real life. Bound is the word that, that is often used in the scriptures. We use this in, in, in the classic hymns. The idea that we are chained in sin. This isn't just vivid imagery. It comes from the scriptures alienated from the life of God. And so the human being was created to be in fellowship with God, but God is not present within them. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, Ephesians 4.19 says, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so the works which human beings are created to accomplish by God are broken. And that's the condition of each and every human being that has ever been born. But the good news is that God does a delivering work in Jesus Christ. God is not content to look at broken humanity and to say, you know what, I don't know that there's going to be a significant return on my investment, and so I will just throw it away. You know, you can spend an enormous amount of money now on electronic devices, right? What do we pay for our phones and printers? And when they begin to malfunction and go wrong, what are we told to do by the manufacturer? Get a new one. Throw it away, right? Tossing a, an, an expensive device into the trash. We, we, we restore our cars for a while until it's no longer worth investing in, and then we throw them away. But that's not the way that God works. Listen to what it says in the scriptures about the work of God, his redeeming, saving work. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1. Uh, sorry, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. The Bible says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has delivered us. We see this, this transferring work going on. We see that in, in, in verse 13. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. And so here is, is the one who is born into this world, right? The Bible describes this as being in Adam, right? 
or, or being in sin or being fallen or, or lost. And we are born in this place under the power of Satan, blind. We are imprisoned and we don't even know it. We live in this domain. Uh, I believe that, that Paul does not want to use the word kingdom here because he reserves the use of the word kingdom for the place where Jesus lives. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so we see this other place where the believer is transferred. Okay? We are, we are brought into a new place. When you look at the Bible, all of humanity is split into two groups, right? There's in Adam and there is in Christ. We're born in Adam's image in this condition, perishing, lost. When we believe the gospel, when we put our faith and trust in the work that God has done in Christ, we are transferred into God's kingdom because God delivers. But yet we remain in the world, right? We, we remain in this place. God doesn't save someone and then take them away to heaven, right? I mean, he does eventually. We call this in the church that I grew up in either promotion or graduation, right? You came off the church rolls when you got promoted or you graduated. Um, it was just a, a nice euphemism for, for when someone goes home to be with the Lord. But, but when we are saved, we don't leave. The world. We remain in the world when we're in this kingdom. In between the kingdom of God and the domain of darkness, there is this region that I think we can call no man's land. In a military conflict, uh, there, is a, there is contested ground. There's the, there's the place that um, those who are fighting uh, that they have not yet claimed. That, that, that you, if you enter into it, people from either side might be shooting at you. This is where the bombs are going off. This is where the battles are fought. They're, they're fought in no man's land. Let's look at the new life of the believer who has been transferred or brought into this new place. This is what Ephesians 2, 4 says. What a wonderful verse. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, right? Over here, the, the lost one is alienated from the life of God, but because of the, the seeking, initiating, loving, pursuing, missionary act of God, God loves and, and transfers. And so we have the love God, which brings the believer into this kingdom. Even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with him. Okay? What is missing in the life of the one who is perishing? It's the life of God living within them, right? Just 
What does God do when we believe the gospel? He raises us from the dead and he seats us with Christ. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And so God is living within us again. Once dead, now alive again. He made us, it says in Ephesians 2.5, alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. It's not our own merits or attractiveness or skill withdrawing or anything that gets us into this kingdom. It's the love of God that, that he sees and he values because of who he is. Not because value is to be found, but because, as Martin Luther has said, God doesn't find that which pleases him, but he creates it. He says, I will save, I will deliver. By grace you've been saved. And it says that he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. The wrath of God is removed. Blindness is removed. The, the darkness that, that lives in our minds is, is lifted and the life of God returns. We are able, now that we're no longer alienated from him, we are able to, to truly know God. We're able to know him. We're able to, to know God in all of his fullness. The Bible says that no one seeks God. That no one desires. Not, not in a real, true way. It is God who seeks and who pursues and who draws us into fellowship with him. By grace, Ephesians 2 says, by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the work. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. The, the believer is able to look to God in love and to say, as we sang this morning, you're a good father. Thank you. Completely humbled. Saved by grace through faith. Not a result of works, Ephesians 2, 9 says, so that no one boasts. We are his workmanship. Uh, the Greek word there is poema, which is where we get the word poem from. Uh, a song, the artist Michael Card says, that God has been writing, the, the song of our lives. We are his workmanship, created for what? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're, we're created to live in such a way that we glorify God. Those are, that's, that's radiant glory coming off of this, this new believer. Not his own believer, but, but a glory that comes from doing that which God created him for. Delivered from, from works done in vain. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are these good works? Yes, the, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Which one did I forget? Patience. Patience, yeah. I can never remember them all. 
That was ironic. That was me losing my patience there. Yeah, I can never get all nine of them, remember them. Um, but yes, they are, they are to, to, to live in a way that reflects God's character. But there's also, there is, there is another measure of work which God has called us to do. We're not simply to, to be in this kingdom knowing him. Now I say simply because this is the first and, and great work of the believer, which is to abide in the love of God and to celebrate the goodness of God. We come in and we sing and we praise, and we ought to. That's, that's good. God's delivered us. But he has also saved us for good works, not by good works. We don't earn God's affection by our works. We have his affection in Christ. But he does commission us as believers. And so... I'm not going to be able to fit this word in here. I might leave a couple letters out. We are, we are commissioned. How'd I do? Fit. Okay. Commissioned. We're commissioned for, for works. There are five great commissions in the scriptures. Do you know that? There's the great commission, right? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus came and said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, this Jesus who saves is not just a savior, he's a king of a kingdom. He's the, the ruler of a realm. And he draws his disciples in to that realm. And then he commands them and calls them to live in a way that satisfies him. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. He says, go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God lives in us in the power of the Spirit. He is with us in the presence of the church. He says, wherever two or three are gathered, I am there. And Jesus promises in the Gospel of John that, that, that the Father will come and make his home within the believer. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the Gospel to the whole creation. And so we're to make disciples in all the world. Luke 24, 46 he said to them, Jesus said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. As we learn of our condition, as those, those who are lost, as we hear the words of the scriptures, as we hear the condition that we're in and the work that God is, is willing to do for us to transition us, we ought to be deeply moved with regard to our own sin and hate it and to forsake it. And when we leave that sin behind and we come to Christ and we say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, like the, the tax collector says in Luke 18, we are forgiven. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Jesus greets his disciples in the Gospel of John, in John 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. And then he, I'm just amazed at this. This 
one of those things. Like, if it weren't in the Bible, I'd be like, nah, it's not true. Like, I, I'm, I'm a se sinful, second-class sinner. I could never, never think that I'm commissioned with a commission like the commission of Jesus. Do I have a mission like the mission of Jesus? Listen, if you're not looking there in your Bible, you just want to turn and look at this one. Because you may be short-selling your identity as a believer. John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Forgot what I was supposed to write here for a second there. I am sending you. As the Father sent me, I send you. God is a delivering, redeeming God. He, he comes into the world to rescue. He comes into the world with a, with a missionary heart and mindset to come into a world full of lost people. Not, not lost like, where are you? I'm right over here. You know, but to but to find those who are perishing, who will spend an eternity apart from him because because they're alienated from him by their works. And, and Jesus comes into the world seeking those who are lost. He dies on a cross to take the penalty of sin upon himself to pay the burden that they could never pay themselves. And to deliver them, to rescue them. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. Finally, Acts 1.8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will testify to what I have done with the power of the Spirit living inside you. That's five great commissions. Now, some people might write books and say, Find God's vision for your church. What is your mission statement? What is your vision statement? What is your purpose statement? Now, I'm not mocking the use of these things. I think they're important because you need to know what it is that you're supposed to be doing on a weekly basis if you're going to be faithful about it. But if our vision, mission, purpose, values, if those things aren't consistent with God's mission, vision, purpose, values, then we wander and we are lost or we are ineffective in our mission don't even know what it is. Does that make sense? We need to make sure that, that we're consistent with what it is that God has laid out for us. And so what is our mission as a church? Yes, in Christ we are called to know him, right? We are, we are saved and, and resurrected to this new life where we can know and have fellowship with God and we can feel his love and we can delight in it and we can know that, that our shame has been taken away and that those things which we do when we say, Lord, you know, I want to live for you today. We know that God's pleased. He's not like whipping us and saying, like, try harder. He loves us. We know him. But we have been commissioned to make him known. Great. Like, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, I was like, hey, put this on the front of the bulletin. 
to know Jesus Christ and to make him known. And then one day, Chris Flamin got up and he's like, this is our mission statement. And I was like, yes, it's in the water. You know, they're gonna, we're going to get infected with it. And it's going to become who we are. And I think we're good at this as a church. I think we're good at this. I think we got this down. We, we're, we're bible people. And we've got a worship leader who, who, when he picks songs, he picks bible songs that, that talk about who God is. And, and we've got Sunday school teachers who are bible teachers who are like, you know, let's study the Bible. We're good at knowing him. Does every single person in this church feel and think when they leave this place that they have a mission? This is where I think it gets intimidating and we struggle. Am I called to make him known? Should I, should I be, be living that way? This is what I think is very clear from the scriptures. We're called to make God known. God could choose to make himself known, to display his glory, to reach the world in any way that he chooses. But over and over through the scriptures, this is what, what God does. When he works in the world, he chooses to work through people. He chooses to work through people. He appoints, anoints, people and sends them on a mission. And it's clear that he has called every single believer to this task of making him known. And so he is sending us into the danger zone. He is sending us into no man's land and into the domain of darkness. Isn't that kind of a scary idea? We're, we're called out of that and into the kingdom, but we're left in the world, right? What is it that motivates us to obey and to follow God on this mission? Shouldn't it be the very heart of God? The, the heart of the believer ought to be filled with the love of God. I'm going to draw a purple heart here. I'm not sending some... Uh, um, the heart of God looks like this. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Somebody asked Jesus this. And he said to him, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus never does what he's supposed to, right? They're like, give us one command, Jesus. And then he, you know, he answers the question, they're probably all like, oh, okay, let's go home. And then he says, and a second is like this. You will love your neighbor as yourself. The heart of God is to love God and to love others. Listen to what Paul says when he considers that, that he has been transferred into this kingdom. He, as a Jew has been, been brought into the kingdom of Christ and he looks and he sees many of his own countrymen rejecting Christ and, and leaving him behind. This is what he says in Romans 10, 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. My heart's desire, 
loving his neighbor, right? My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He looks into the kingdom of darkness and doesn't say, oh, the scum, the horror, the, the, the terror of that place, but instead says they're dying there. They're dying. Um, one writer, I believe it's Stephen Charnock, the Puritan, is the one who said that, that even though we may not be atheists, we might be Christians, there is a way in which we function as, as atheists in our life. If we hear the commands of God, and then we go away and act as if they are not true, we act as if they were from God. We live as, as practical atheists. And this is what we sing, right? I was lost in sin. My, my sins separated me from God, but, but he's delivered me in Jesus. If we have a heart like God's, then, then we will say those people who do not yet believe in him will die eternally apart from him. And it'll break our hearts. Ephesians uh, chapter 6 speaks about the fact that we have been given this new identity. We've been, we've been transferred, right? That's Ephesians 2. We were dead, and now we've been raised. And Ephesians 6 kind of caps off the book. The Christian understands his identity from Ephesians 1 through 3, who he was, who he is, understands how he's supposed to live. That's Ephesians 4, 1 to Ephesians 6, 9. But then in verse 10, Paul talks about this contest, this battle, and he begins Ephesians 6, 10 by saying, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the scheme of of the devil. So we're called to be strong in the Lord, right? This is not be strong. This is not like be a tough Christian in your own strength. No, the spirit living within us lay hold of all the good that God has given to you. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You are resurrected from the dead. You are forgiven. You are commissioned and called to do works which glorify God. You've been, you've been called to that. In Christ, and so be strong in it. This reminds me of First Corinthians fifteen, fifty-eight. Be strong in the Lord, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. God wastes nothing of the effort that you exert in your pursuit of the Great Commission and His Great Commandment called to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why do we need armor? Aren't we, like, resurrected and at peace with God? Well, one who is heading into a battle, into a spiritual battle, needs armor. So take up the whole armor of God, Paul says, so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. I love this. This is like comic book stuff, right? You know, the belt of truth. So, so, so the Christian's got, got his, 
and felt on. And having uh, fastened on the breastplate of righteousness, I've tried to draw this a couple ways, but it kind of looks like an undershirt. <laughs> but, it, but it also kind of looks like Iron Man's armor. So there he is, right, with, um, with the, the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, right? Where do your feet go? They, you put on your shoes so you can go someplace because it's, it's the, the ground is pointy, right? You know, so, so we put on shoes on our feet that we're ready to proclaim and to teach the gospel. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith so that you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This is one of the reasons why we do fighter verses here. So that, so that the word is memorized and, and inside of us so that, so that when the attacks of the devil come, we can resist in faith. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, ready, armored, equipped. Now I want you to notice something. If you're not looking in Ephesians 6, uh, I want you to turn there. Ephesians 6, right? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You, you have an identity, Ephesians 1 through 3. You have uh, a set of commands to live by, Ephesians 4 through 6. And then starting in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, the armored believer is, or the believer is told to arm himself for his specific activity. We, 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 we love this verse in, in, in some sense, right? The idea of, of purpose and, and battle gives us this, this sense of I have, I have a cause to crusade for. But what is the activity of the armored believer? Is it, is it going out and laying a spiritual beat down on unbelievers? Right? Is, it, is it going out there and, 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 and winning arguments? Is that what we're supposed to do to go and show people that this gospel is true? I'm going to go, I'm going to go, you know, take a, take a run at them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and I'm going to say, put on a giant signboard that says, you are a disgusting sinner. No. We're to carry out God's mission in a way that's consistent with his values. And so look at what, look at what Paul says. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then in verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So praying. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is the explicit command Paul, the apostle, writing to us, he says that this believer is to be fully armed, he is commissioned, and then he is supposed to get on his knees and pray. That's the explicit command. But I think there's a second activity implied. Look at what he says next. Pray also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Pray and then speak. Think about it. Paul wrote an entire letter to a church 
He begins in Ephesians 1 recounting all the gospel blessings that they have in Christ. Telling them who they are. He tells them in chapter 2 where they've come from, how they've been delivered. And then he arms them for battle. And he says, here are the two things that you need to know. You should be praying. And you should speak the gospel. And speak it in a way that's consistent with God's heart. Not an argument-winning, self-glorifying proclamation of the gospel, but a humble, giving, seeking, caring, loving proclamation of the gospel that draws others to God. So this is the truth, and I believe it is. I've tried to um, draw it out from the scriptures and illustrate it in a memorable way. If this is the truth, then we'll be serious about it, right? If this is the truth, then we'll say, this is, this is not just a, a good idea. This is, this is my mission. I, I was that guy. I was, I was that girl. And now I have been saved, and this is who I am, and this is my mission. So, I want to ask you a question then. If Paul commands you to pray for those who don't know the gospel, are you doing it? Do you have specific plans to pray for and to reach specific people with the gospel message? Uh, reach into the, the pocket right in front of me. Not the, not the little pocket on top of the chair, like where we keep the Bible. Just kind of reach underneath there's a card taped there. All right? You'll find it. There's one in every chair. We made sure. Um, if, if you're in the front row, there's one under uh, the grill. So if you're, if you're in the sound booth, there's one under your chair, too, I think. Um, you got it? Who are your five? Now, is there something magical about praying for five people? No. But, but, but you know, if you, if you say, I'm going to pray, I'm just going to pray in general for lost people. Is the, is the heart, is, 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 are you going to have plans and designs to, to reach out to specific people? Let me ask you the question. Are there five people, five non-Christians in your life that you can pray for? That you can pray for. And let me ask you, would you pray for them daily? Listen, Paul recounts the identity of the believer, and he armors the believer, and then he says that the believer ought to be praying. This ought to be our delight as a church to say, you're a good father. I am loved by you. I will pray for others to come to know you. Simple evangelistic strategy here. Pray for them daily. Talk to them weekly. Meet up with them monthly. That might take a lot of time. They're dying. They're going to die apart from the gospel message. What is what what brings the anger of God on the believer? Jonah said, I'll go the other way, right? Moses said, send someone else. That's when God gets angry. God delights in the believer. He loves the believer and he calls the believer to 
to pray. So let me, let me ask you to commit to write down five names. Five people that you can share the gospel with, that you can share the good news about what God has done with, has, has done. You can share it with them. And you're going to pray that they're going to become part of God's kingdom. And you're going to pray for them and share and share and share. I'll tell you what. As a church, I think we've got this. I think we understand this. I think we do well at it. I think we, I think we, we praise and I think that we teach in a way that, that illustrates that we understand the gospel and we need to know him but this is the area where if in 2017 one grand thing could change if we could envision ourselves as a community of armored and armed believers not going out to make war on the world and just win arguments so that we can feel proud of the fact that we believe but instead saying we take the form of servants that we're, we're commissioned and sent to them to reach them. I think that's a change that would delight God's heart. Uh, in the back of the room, um, there's a, a study guide that I've, I've written uh, along with help from uh, Melissa Kessler, Stephanie uh, Ginger's help. And, uh, and so you can grab one on the way out. Uh, there's something to, to, to look at every day. There's a, a place where you can, you can write out a scripture verse on prayer. There's a, a thought for the day that I've written in a space for your own personal application. Now, I've said that you can, you can draw your own cartoon in there, right? I mean, I just, I did it. So go ahead and send me a picture. Um, there's a prayer to pray and an unreached people group to pray for. God is sending us into all the world. This isn't something that's just reserved for a certain class of believers. This is a commission and the mission of every believer. I'm praying over the next couple weeks as we... We work through some different texts. We're going to be looking at a bunch of different areas. This is what I'm praying. I'm praying there will be an intense transformation in the way that we view our mission, not as individual believers, but as an assembled church. I'm hoping that you're going to say, hey, Keith, I've been praying. I had an opportunity to share. And, and my friend's going to come to church on Sunday. They're on my list. We're going to be able to celebrate when that person comes to Christ. Because your heart's desire and prayers of God for them has been that, you, that they would be saved. Calm down the love of God from heaven on them. God saved this person. This is what Paul did. This is the way that, that he lived. So let me, let me close in prayer. I just want to ask you, Jesus commanded us in Luke 18, verse 1, that's the fire verse for next week, to pray and to not lose heart. And that the desire of God is that he will draw people to himself. And Paul's heart's desire and prayer was that they would be saved. What is it in our hearts? What is it in our life? What is it in our behavior that will allow us to say, Not, not good at it. 
spirit of the living God is within us. He has given us a command and promised to be with us. Out of gratitude towards his deliverance of you and knowing that he has placed good works in your life that you may walk in them. Would you walk in this manner and delight in what he's going to do for you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. We pray that you would break our hearts with love and compassion for those who need to know you. We pray that you would fill us with a sense of gospel purpose and gospel mission, Lord, that we might love those who need to be loved and who need to know of the love of God for them. We thank you that you saved us, that you drew us, you transferred us from one kingdom to another. And now, Lord, we thank you that you have armed and armored us with this purpose of proclaiming the gospel. We pray that you move our hearts with love and compassion and that we would share knowing that we are sent as the Father sent you. We thank you for your grace and kindness toward us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song together.